1: Dayga 2000 was when Dale Earnhardt drove the three car into Victory Lane for the final time, and the three car hadn't been back there since until last night when Austin Dillon made history in NASCAR's backyard.
0: We just won our first Cup race! Woo-hoo! Yes, Austin,
2: awesome. yes! my gosh, man. Cannot believe it.
3: Hey, we got to slide the grass too, bud. Hell of a job, Austin. Love you, buddy. Love you. Hell of a job, man. I know Dale's up there smiling down because he'd want this win. You'd want to see it with Austin.
1: It was a special night for Richard Childress Racing that capped off an absolutely wonderful weekend in motorsports. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Carol Mano and Parker Quiggerman with you, along with our Dale Jarrett from Burns Garage. Dale, yeah, we're going to get into just what that win meant, bringing the three-car back into victory lane. But first, your overall thoughts on a big weekend in motorsports. It was a blast.
4: Oh, it sure is. I I don't know that there's a better Sunday uh, afternoon, and and obviously, everybody, uh, a lot of people's minds are on other things through that, but motorsports is at the top of the list on uh, yesterday. Uh, Just so many great races. Glad everyone is okay from some horrific crashes, but uh, what a win by Austin Dillon and his team. We'll talk more about it, but that's going to go a long way to helping him
5: uh, in his career. DJ, it was a big win, but for myself, I had a little bit of a personal victory, and that was going to the Indy 500. I had an awesome time. I was able to catch the Monaco Grand Prix in the morning, was at the Indy 500. The atmosphere was incredible. We saw an incredible race, obviously a scary wreck with Dixon, but thankfully he was okay, and then capped it off with an excellent Coke cola 600. Yeah, it's day. a
1: really special event in sports. We're also going to show you what Kyle Busch did after the Coke 600 that has everybody talking, and also why Dale Earnhardt Jr. is quickly becoming one of NASCAR's best and most intrepid reporters. Uh, but first, let's show you how Austin Dillon got the biggest win of his life. And Parker, this really came down to strategy well into early Monday morning, I might add.
5: It did. Here you have probably the two best cars of the night. That is Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. Basically running away with the race. They're going to be- hopefully battle it out. But Dan Patrick would blow right front and get in the wall, causing a caution, DJ. Yeah, and that
4: brought everyone to Pint Road for four tires and as much fuel as they could possibly get. You see Austin Dillon right here going in to get his car serviced and get back out. Now, there are 70 laps going to be left. Your pit window or your fuel window is about 60 to 64. That's a
5: lot of fuel to be saving. Austin Dillon had the car to do it, though.
1: And Jimmy Johnson also now trying to figure out how he was going to save fuel.
5: Yeah, and you see these two right up here. Austin was mostly a top 10 car. The 48 had kind of lost the handle a bit, was coming back to the field, but neither of these two knew really at this time that it was going to come between them and how much fuel they could keep in their tank to win it.
1: Yeah, DJ, yeah, you see Kyle Busch. Yeah, yep. go ahead. You see Kyle Busch passing uh, on Jimmy Johnson or catching up to Truex, excuse me, in the final laps.
4: Yeah, and a little curious they didn't let Jimmy Johnson know a little sooner. Did you see him run out of gas here uh, with under two laps to go? But you can see Kyle Busch faster than Martin Truex, but this is in Austin Dylan's hands right now.
1: Okay, so take us to the final lap here, Parker. Dylan going 70 laps on a single tank of fuel. When
5: the 48 ran out, it was like the seas had parted for him to victory lane. And once he got off four, he knew he could coast across the line. And he basically did, remarking that it actually sputtered across the line and only allowing him to do about a 20-foot burnout after the race but it doesn't (laughs) matter they got it to victory lane it doesn't
1: matter if you have to push the car to victory lane or not a win is a win austin Dillon becoming the 33rd different driver to win the coca-cola 600 kyle bush passing martin chokes jr late to take second place while the latter finished third after leading a race high 233 laps dylan hart jr scoring a top 10 in his final coke 600 start So Austin Dillon became the seventh driver to get his first win at the Coke 600. He joins a list that includes David Pearson, Jeff Gordon, and Matt Kenseth, among others. Dillon able to bring the number three car back to victory lane for the first time in nearly 17 years as he spoke to Dave Burns
2: after the moment. he just hadn't sunk in yet, man. I'm just so proud of my guys to deliver this to them because they did such a good job tonight. They had ice in their veins, man. We, we did a good job on pit road. We did a ju- good job making calls, and my spotter stayed so calm in that pressure situation at the end. It kept me focused on what we needed to do to get to victory lane. The good Lord took us here, and I can't thank everybody enough that's helped me get to this point in my career.
6: Houston, your spotter was calm. I mean, you sure he wasn't freaking out up there?
2: He was very calm. He did a good job. I mean, we're chasing down what I consider the GOAT. I mean, Jimmy's tied with the best of the best, and... Um, to beat him in a little chess match there at the end. It feels really good. At a track, I've seen him win multiple races sitting in the stands and in the condo up there, so feels pretty good.
6: How about that new guy on top of the pit box and making that gutsy call?
2: Like I said, ice in his veins, man. He, he knew what we were going to do from the start. He said, hey, if this thing goes green, we're probably going to stay out. So I was able to get ahead of the game with saving fuel, and it played into our advantage. You always got to put yourself in position. Tonight we put ourselves in a position to win with a car that was a solid top-10 car all night long and stayed up there, did our job, I guess everything just opened up
6: perfect for us. Austin, tell us what it means to you to put the three car for Pop-Pop, for Dale, back in victory lane in the Cup Series.
2: Well, I gotta thank all the fans that have supported us by bringing the number three back. Um, A lot of people up and down on their thoughts on this, and, and we've had some really supportive people in the process, and Dow backing us for all these years, wanting to get to victory lane to deliver them this win, deliver my grandfather, all those fans out there, the three fans, the legendary number, to put it back in victory lane. It just takes a burden off my chest. It makes me feel so good and just happy for everybody that's a part of this team, RCR. Joshua Harris was on a windshield tonight. We get the tribute to the troops, to a guy, a true hero. It's pretty special.
6: The backyard of Canapolis, the 600, Charlotte, and on Memorial Day weekend, extra special?
2: Extra special. I, I grew up racing in this fifth mile right here. Bandaleros and Legends cars. To get my first win here? It, it, it's nothing better.
3: It shows that he deserved to be in the three. I was not just going to put anyone in it. It had to have been one of the children's family or one of the Earnhardts. He doesn't show emotion and pressure, but I can tell you away from the track and all and, and talks and stuff, he, he knew how much he wanted to win for the three fans. And he knew how much he wanted to win for our family and everybody involved, all of our sponsors, and just really proud of him. I never second-guessed myself bringing it back, but I did have a lot of thoughts about bringing it back and the pressure it would be on whoever got in the car. Uh, Dale Jr. won the race for us, and we've won a couple of races in the three, you know, uh, RCR, and it just was, uh, to see him win, that was one of the uh, big healing moments in 2002 when he won in Daytona in the three, and... I knew it would be, I wanted to bring it back but it had to be something special to bring it back and to have my grandson to to put, put him in it was unbelievable.
1: And Childress referencing a few Xfinity races there where Dale Jr. drove the three car. This was the first time, though, that we saw the number three in victory lane at the Coke 600 for the first time in 24 years. There are actually four drivers, EJ, in last night's field who were not alive when that took place. But for the fans who were and who remember Dale Earnhardt's career vividly, what is the significance of bringing this car back to victory lane in this way?
4: know, yeah, There are a lot of things that, that go into this, a lot of thoughts, and some people are going to say that it should have never been brought back, but we've got the 43 out there still going. I think it's only right, and I assure you Dale Earnhardt uh, would appreciate uh, the efforts that have been made by Richard Childress and by Austin Dillon to, to make all of this happen, and you know, there are going to be people that say about last night that he was lucky to win this race. You're, you're not lucky to win any race. You have to put your, yourself in a position. You have to have a fast enough race car to even make fuel mileage work in certain conditions, and Austin did have that. As he pointed out, he had a top 10 race car. But this is such a huge victory. You know, every driver that comes into the Cup Series, you face pressures. Most of it is self-induced. But some uh, get even more than that, like a Dell Earnhardt Jr. Austin Dillon, much in the same way, driving for his grandfather there uh, in the number three. Uh, a lot of people just say he didn't earn the ride. This young man has worked very hard to get where he is, and he did a tremendous job. When you save that much fuel, you know exactly what you're doing as a race driver. And Austin Dillon did that last night to get to victory lane.
5: DJ, how fitting that an American icon like that three right there would win on Memorial Day weekend in one of the biggest, toughest races we have in NASCAR. But I have to think personally for myself, when I think about the three, when I sort of came into the sport, obviously, uh, at 10 years old, Dale had lost his life. And therefore, the three, for most of the time that I've watched the sport growing up in my form of years, didn't exist. And as I came into racing in NASCAR, I was coming along the same time as Austin. And as he won the truck series, I won the truck series, he drove the three. As we went to the Xfinity Series, he drove the three. I raced against the three that that Dale Earnhardt Jr. won in, in, in 2010, the Xfinity Series. And for me, it started to really transform into having two different eras. There's the Dale Earnhardt, American legend, era of the three and then there's now the austin dylan three the three of the young up-and-coming new nascar young breed and i think for me when i look at this victory of the three it's more about austin cementing himself about being saying that he belongs in the cup series that he this choice of of his grandpa to put him in a cup series car is the right choice and that he deserves this opportunity and therefore i think this is the start for a three of a new era in the cup series where it's austin Dillon's three to go out there and challenge for a championship
4: Yeah, and I think Austin Dillon and Richard Schultz will both tell you, they're not where they want to be as an organization exactly yet, but there's one fact that is out there. They have two cars that are going to be part of the playoffs when we get around uh, to that happening in September. So uh, that's a big boost for this organization uh, to to have that already in hand. It allows them just to continue to further their program and to make their race cars faster, and they'll do that. And Austin Dillon has kind of taken the leadership role there, and and I think that he's had a lot to say about direct that they need to go, some, make, some changes that need to be made. So uh, I really appreciate the, effort, appreciate the efforts that have been made there. And I think that when it comes time uh, for the playoffs to roll around, that they'll have faster race cars and they've got very experienced winning drivers now.
1: Yeah, the thing that was memorable to me from that sound was that he said it was a burden that was taken off his shoulders to really get that three-car back to victory lane. And it has been a very turbulent year for the three-team when you consider what they went through before Sunday night. Frustration reaching a boiling point after the Kansas race when Dylan damaged his own car at the very end. He finished 16th. He expressed his disappointment afterwards, and his crew chief, Slugger Labby, told our Marty Snyder that the Kansas finish was when the team really started thinking about making some major changes. And one week ago today, Labby was replaced with Justin Alexander. And the team then goes out and wins the Coke 600 after a very tumultuous week and an exchange between driver and owner.
2: To be quite honest with you, this past week we had an argument about our race cars performing. Like, face-to-face, full-on argument with your grandfather. And um, we made it through it, and we're in victory lane this weekend, and it feels (laughs) damn good. So... Just letting you know, he's, he's not only my grandfather, he's my boss, too. And it feels amazing to be able to have a good conversation with him and him to, to listen to me and and take take what little advice I know, because he's been doing this for so many years. <laughs> Just want more, man. I want to put the three car in victory lane. That was what it's about.
3: He, he's won twice this week. I think he won that argument. <laughs>
1: So, really, what a roller coaster week for Austin, Dylan, and RCR. It looks like all is well now. Winning is a cure all. Dylan has a win, and now he has a playoff spot. But Parker, finding that balance between being a family run business and also being a professional organization, I imagine has its challenges.
5: There's no doubt. And when you think about what Austin has done in NASCAR, so as you think back to the truck series, you know, it's okay to be a family. Organization having fun, racing on the weekends, in the truck series. It's an okay thing where you can be successful in the Xfinity Series. But when you get to the Cup Series, this is where this family business makes its money. This is where everyone in the Cup Series is trying to make their mark, and this is their day-to-day job, their living. And therefore, you need to be a professional organization. It can't be just a fun thing. It's not a charity case to put his grandson in that car. He has to perform because it's the livelihood of that family if he goes out there and performs. And therefore, that comes with a different set of pressures. And I think when I listened to him there talk about that argument with his grandpa, that means Austin is taking that leadership approach. He understands that. He knows that he needs to go out there and be the race car driver. That's his boss that he needs to perform and act with in terms of how he makes those race cars faster, how they drive this organization forward to go out there and challenge their championships and overall raise the profile of Richard Childress Racing.
4: Yeah, well said there, Parker. And, and I'll say that Austin said that he had to to talk to his grandfather as the race driver there. And now Richard Childress has had discussions uh, many times and maybe arguments with DELL Earnhardt with Kevin Harvick uh, about the future of Richard Childress Racing, and they had to sit down and have heart-to-heart talks. Uh, and at that time, it was man-to-man, driver-to-car owner. Uh, yeah, this is a little bit different when family is involved. But I really appreciate the the fact that Austin took the initiative to sit down with his grandfather and talk to him because he's a professional race car driver yes his grandfather is the owner of that but changes needed to be made if they were going to compete at a higher level and you really appreciate Richard Childress sitting there listening and and, then giving back but understanding at the end that they had to make some changes and it paid off uh, very quickly for them and I think that it will continue to pay off for them
1: And we had Slugger Labby on the show the week leading up to the race uh, in the immediate departure between him and RCR, and he did tweet his congratulations to the entire team despite the fact that he wasn't around for that win over the weekend. Coming up later in the show, we are going to tell you how Austin Dillon responded when asked about his place among the pecking order of NASCAR's youngest stars. But next, must-see TV continuing after the race when Kyle Busch wore his emotions right on his fire suit. Why was he so upset? That's next. For the third straight year, that 78 car that you see right there leading the most laps in the Coke 600. Martin Truex Jr. did not get the win, but he is continuing to show everybody why he is a championship contender. Let's take a closer look now at how Truex and Kyle Busch fared last night. Parker, we'll start with you here in this matchup, and it begins with just narrowly escaping disaster.
5: The absolute save of the night, maybe the save of the year. Absolutely swatting flies in that car as he hit the oil from Chase Elliott and Brad his wreck.
1: And then stage one here a uh, DJ Kyle Busch would ultimately get the win.
4: Yeah, you know this. I was impressed more with this part of the race that Kyle Busch uh, was that good at that time. But you knew they were going to have to make some adjustments if they were going to keep up with this 78 later
5: on, Parker. Yeah, because as the sun went away and the night fell, the 78 came to life. He looked like the absolute car to beat, but. He would not beat that 18 off pit road, which would prove not to be the final stop
1: And here's the final lap, uh, DJ, Kyle Bush passing Truex for position two.
4: Yeah, Truex had gained the lead back, but what a great run that Kyle Bush had here right at the end, thinking this was going to be the pass for the win at that point in time.
1: So as a result of Truex's performance and the fact that Kyle Larson had a bad night, Truex has now taken the overall lead in points. Larson dropping a second. That's five points off the pace. While Kyle Busch sits at fifth in the standings, he has no wins this season. And after the race, he was clearly unhappy with just how his night ended.
5: Okay, we'll open it up. Uh, our post-race press conference of the Coca-Cola 600 with the runner-up, Kyle Busch. Um, with this late hour deadlines, I'll just open it up for any questions for Kyle. Any questions for Kyle? We'll go over here to Bob.
3: Bob Packer, CSPN. Were you surprised that Austin could stretch it on fuel? And then I mean, what mean, it mean, do you think,
6: for Austin to get his first one? I'm not surprised about anything. Congratulations.
3: Any other questions for Kyle? Up at the press box? All right, Kyle. Thanks for your time.
1: So here, before we discuss some driver reaction, right? Apparently, Dale Earnhardt Jr., watching that press conference, he took to social media. He tweets that the sport needs personalities, all types. And then he went even further. He said, if you don't like Kyle, that's fine. But that was funny. And then Matt Benedetto, not abused, he tweeted that if he ever acted like Kyle Busch, then you have permission to smack him. DJ, I, I want to get into this and hear what both you and Parker think about this particular reaction. This is not the first time that we have seen Kyle Busch react in this way. Maybe the first time that he's held his head in his hands and picked his nose and dropped a mic. But, I mean, your, your overall reaction to how he behaved after, after this race...
4: Okay, uh, this isn't saying that everything that he did there and the way that he handled this press conference was the right way to do it, but I I will say this much. If you haven't been in that position to where you just run a 600-mile race that has taken over six hours to get through everything, then you have no idea what that would be like to sit there thinking you had done everything you possibly could to win your first cup race at this particular racetrack. So I I think he could have been a little more cordial, obviously, and making a little more conversation about it, Um, not even saying that he has to congratulate uh, Austin in the win, but uh, just to answer the question a little bit better. I don't have any problem with being frustrated at this point in time. I can tell you, I think it was 1996 when I won the Coke 600. We had a bolt that broke that holds the pulleys on. Uh, My car wasn't going to probably run another lap. But if that that had to happen uh, one lap before, and, and I had led the majority of that Coke 600 and, and done everything right, and this was at 12:45 in the morning too because of of a big rain delay that we had, uh, I'm I'm not sure that I would have been wanting to talk much either. So I understand the frustration. The other side of it is, as Dale Jr. was pointing out there, we we're, we're, we talk about these drivers being too vanilla, and we want them to be more personality and, and show that personality. So when they do show that personality we can't automatically just start jumping on everyone there because they're different and they're not doing what we expect of them. So, again, not saying that all of that was the proper way, but I certainly understand the frustration. And, again, it's hard to understand if you haven't been in that situation.
5: DJ, it's hard to justify what he did, but I'm not going to sit here as well and condemn him for what he did because and the way he acted, because I have to agree with a lot of what DJ said there in terms of putting yourself in his shoes. It's easy to be that Monday morning quarterback, someone on the couch, and rationalize in our heads how, how you would act, how you think you should act in that scenario, how you just saw a defeat, but you didn't experience that defeat. You weren't in the car with him, putting everything on the line. And I can actually relate to a uh, race in the truck series many years, a couple years ago, not many years, uh, where I actually made the right pass on the last lap that I thought was for the win of the race because it was the guys I'd been racing the whole race for the lead, but what the team had not told me was there was three cars that stayed out and therefore I finished fourth. I've never been so devastated in my life because I had done everything right to win that race. And I know Kyle actually knew that he was not getting the lead there from the 78. But it's that point that you've done everything right. You had the fastest car. You made the passes. You did all the right things it meant to get into victor lane in the longest, most grueling race we have, and it's not there. It gets taken from you. So you can't justify it, but you're not gonna, I'm not going to condemn it. And I'm going to say this, though. The thing about this action of his is that's Kyle Busch, and we're not going to change that. If you find him, if you try to hold him back, he's only going to find more ways to act this way, to do these things because he cares about one thing and one thing only, and that's winning races. So I'm gonna just do this real quick. <laughs> You're doing. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Well, we can't have everything the way that we want it. You, you can't ask these drivers to, to be what they are as far as great competitors show that desire to go out and, and put it on the line each and every weekend uh, and driving these race cars at over 200 miles per hour. Then if Kyle Busch would have come in and he would have sat there and he would have said, hey, you know, that's just the way that it goes, some days are your days, some days they're not, and answered the question that way, then everybody would have been jumping on because that's exactly what's wrong with NASCAR is these guys don't show any emotion. So we can't have it every way. These guys have their own personalities. Let's let them be like that.
1: That's not what I'm asking him to do. You know what it's like to be a driver. I know what it's like to be a reporter like Bob Pachris who is awaiting the mercy of a petulant athlete who's frustrated after a win. But my next question to you is this. After he broke his leg, he had a child. He was winning all these races. We were all saying that Kyle Bush is a changed man. He's more mature. I have to believe, DJ, that that is not the case after what we saw on Sunday or Monday early morning and continue to see.
4: None of that took the competitive uh, uh, fire that's inside of Kyle Busch away. Yes, we saw a different person in a lot of ways. That's because he was having a great championship season. But you're still going to have that. And what you are all the time, when things go bad, I'm sorry, there's only so much that you can change because this is what drives him to be the best that he can. I don't agree. As you said, someone else should have either asked a question or Bob should have come back and said, hey, can you answer this question a little bit better? You really didn't give the answer there. Push Kyle a little bit more that situation you might have gotten more he may have gotten up and walked off anyway but there's only so much change that's going to go on within a person
5: that's a competitive person that that has that desire to be the very best and that's a good point dj because he did stick around they, they offered the chance for other questions. No one asked the question. Oh, so now, and he walked up. Okay. So I'm going to say he he did the full... If they wanted the answer, if they needed it from him, you can pressure him for it. I mean, Kyle, he made himself available. He did the media availability that he was required to do at the race. But you can see that the guy is clearly distraught. He's clearly upset with the fact that he didn't win the race. And I guess they didn't feel they were going to get the right things out of him at the time. And that's that's the relationship they have with him each and every week. They know that he's going to be sometimes in that position where he's willing to be t- talkative and give everything that happened in the race, or he's going to be in the position where he was right there where he's clearly upset and distraught and isn't in the mood to talk.
1: I'm a reporter dealing with two drivers as analysts, so now it's the reporter's fault, of course. At least Dale Earnhardt Jr. is becoming an intrepid reporter because check this out. This is what he tweeted. Nothing surprises Kyle Busch except his own... (laughs) <laughs> Two feet. An unfortunate oh, misstep there. There's always a camera watching. I don't drops. know. Is that karma? Is that is that maybe a little bit of karma? That was before the press conference,
5: I suppose. I, was, I think that's before the race. So maybe he oh, was upset from race. that moment before he knew that <laughs> that video was out there somewhere lurking on the Internet. And it was going to show Listen, up Listen, you hit it
1: choice. on the head. He is who he is. It's authentic at the very least. Uh, coming up next, we are going to switch gears a little bit. Tell the story of how a former pig crew coach for Hendrick Motorsports is now coaching a different team and how he is helping America's bravest find comfort. After leaving a life of combat.
4: During that weekend, the 600 weekend and and Memorial Day, it's a little bit extra special. Uh, We get to meet uh, some families of uh, some soldiers who have served, and to hear their stories is, is pretty unbelievable to me. Uh, lots of racing and a very special day to win um, from you know, the obvious side of, of
2: the racing spectacle that it is, and then uh, on Memorial Day weekend, and, and saying thank you to all the men on the those circles.
1: Ryan Blaney and seven-time champion Jimmy Johnson expressing the gratitude that many of us feel for our U.S. servicemen and women, especially on a day like today. And somebody who Johnson knows well is Greg Morin, who worked as a pit crew coach at Hendrick for nearly a decade. And in the fall of 2013, as Morin and the 48 team were closing in on another championship, Boulder Crest Retreat opened its doors to our nation's combat veterans. It's set on 37 idyllic acres in the foothills of Virginia, and their mission healing heroes, one family at a time. And on this day, when we think about the ultimate sacrifice that was made by many in our nation's military, it's also important to remember that even veterans who survive war often need recovery from that stress and that trauma. And we want to share with you Greg's story about moving from a life of competition and competing at the highest form of sport to coaching a different group of men in a much different arena.
0: The toughest decision
6: Greg Morin ever made turned out to be his most rewarding.
7: It was the desire to be the absolute best at all costs, but you have to pick which one do you want to be successful with? And I, I had to step away and and pick my family. So
6: Ken and Julia Falk are our co-founders. So Ken served 21 and a half years in the Navy and is a combat veteran. I'm a retired combat veteran U.S. Army, Airborne Ranger MP, and I'm a combat operations specialist. Deployed uh, Panama, Honduras, and Desert Shield, Desert Storm. I slowly crawled inside my own head. I was a guy that wasn't sleeping about three hours every five to seven days. I began to isolate. I began not to get along well with others. Checked into VA and they told me that I was suffering with something called post-traumatic stress. someone tells you there's something wrong with you, you believe it, well then I self-medicate and I'm in this endless loop and you live with a diminished version of yourself.
0: I had a plan to take myself off the planet. I had a plan to kill myself. You know, they trained us to be uh,
6: hyper alert. You had to know everything about a doorway, about a window, like the attention to detail that you were trained to have is nuts. Then we had to be able to get three hours of sleep and be able to move on 24, 36 hour hours. And then you look at the symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder, and they're exactly the same. Okay, it's like you trained us to be this way, and now when we get out, we're broken? It's like if these things were strengths while we were in, they're strengths now. Instead of prescribing us some medication, why don't you show us a way to use these skills outside? And we believe if anybody has a chance to recover from trauma, it's our combat veterans. I'm different for a reason. I'm okay with being different. Our country needs different. It's time for our combat veterans to step up in our communities and lead again, not to be felt sorry for. And so for seven days, six counselors lead six veterans on a new mission. So PATH stands for Progressive and Alternative Training for Healing Heroes. Both eyes open, the bow's leaning to the right. And that's part of an 18-month program with our aftercare. Initially, it's, it's a lot of us contacting them. And then as time progresses, it kind of turns into them running the groups, them running the calls, them calling each other. It takes us about a year, a year and a half to be able to walk back into the light, to be able to balance ourselves. That balance was something Greg Moran needed too. 40 weekends a year on the road for seven and a half years left him with a stopwatch in one hand, five championship rings for the other. But the sacrifices were costly. And that revelation was like a punch in the gut coming from his youngest son.
7: He called me into his room one night. I had stayed home from the Dover race. And he said, hey, I want to tell you something. And I'm like, all right, cool. He wants another 15 minutes talking football plays before he goes to bed. She looked me square in the eyes at six years old and said you're like a real dad this weekend it's like oh wow what do you do with that i mean it's taken a year and a half to say that and not tear up about it at that point relied on my ego i got rings somebody's gonna want to hear me talk and nobody did you just keep putting in the work and have the faith and it's gonna happen and that's when i was introduced to Canon and Crest. but what the heck am i gonna do for soldiers Roll up a car. We're gonna
6: six men change the tires and fuel the vehicle and teach us how to work as a, as a team. We know how to work as a team. He said, "My talent is to see the potential within and use their abilities best in their life." We gave him a module in the program, and he was magnificent.
7: Was it nerve-wracking at the beginning? Am I going to be? Am I going to be successful at this? Yes. That was before I understood that it wasn't about my success. It was about their success. If I'd have had the leadership that I have in Greg,
6: in anyone, in the Marine Corps. I don't know that I would be sitting here today
7: because I'd probably been a whole lot better off. He's an incredible man. The integrity, the discipline, the honor, the honesty, the commitment, the strength that they have to stand up and see the worst that humanity has to offer and continue to move through it. There are two different chapters for me. There was a chapter where it was all about victory and it was all about glory and it was all about how deep can you seat yourself in the history of this sport. And when you turn the page on that chapter and and really start focusing on how can I, as a coach, as a man, as a person, be significant instead of successful, it changes the game. And when you add the fact that you may have had a hand in saving somebody's life or you've helped somebody enough that they can save somebody's life, there's nothing higher than that
1: older Crest Retreat, doing important work. And yesterday at Charlotte, not just a race, also about paying homage to those who made the ultimate sacrifice in defense of our nation and those who continue to defend it today. More NASCAR America coming up.
2: I've been coming to Charlotte Way and watching races since I was six years old. And we'd always come early to, to watch Memorial Day things that they did. They have the demonstrations, the helicopters fly in, the
3: troops come out of the helicopters and it's just a special day. You know, as a participant in the sport I'm I'm very proud of to be a part of and and anything we can we can do to support our military is is something that I'm all behind.
1: Ty Dillon and Kevin Harvick with some nice words there on this Memorial Day. We're going to show you how Harvick's Coke 600 might be remembered more for what happened on Pitt Road just a little bit later. But for now, let's recap the biggest day in racing around the world, starting across the Atlantic Ocean in Monaco. It was absolutely, Parker, just a picture-perfect day. On the streets in the Principality, Sebastian Vettel starting second, looking for his first win at Monaco since 2011. He and Ferrari teammate Kimi Räikkönen lining up 1-2 after the start.
5: Yes, and Kimi Räikkönen would get the jump here, holding off his teammate. His teammate would hold off Valtteri Bottas and Mercedes, and it would become between these two Ferrari drivers for the win. And Then here, as we get late in the race, you have Jensen Button, what's going to be most likely, his last F1 start, getting into Pascal Verline as they get here. And you see, they just touch a little bit, and that would send Pastor Maldonado in the barrier where he'd actually remarked to his team he was OK. He just would like a way out of the car, and eventually he was able to get out.
1: Yeah, he will undergo further evaluation on his back in the coming days. But it looks OK. Could have been a lot worse. In the end, it was Sebastian Vettel who took the
5: victory. Yeah, he was able to leapfrog his teammate Kimi Räikkönen with some fast laps as Kimi Räikkönen went in the pits, and therefore he got the victory. The first for Ferrari since 2001, and a huge day for him in the championship as his uh, main contender, Lewis Hamilton, can only muster a top ten. Yeah,
1: he expanded his lead to just over 25 points. Four-time champ, finished first or second in every race this season. Let's go now, DJ, to the 101st running of the Indy 500. Over 300,000 fans in attendance, including Parker. Scott Dixon on the pole. But, man, it was a rough day for him. Let's go right to lap 53. Dixon getting into a crash with Jay Howard airborne and slamming the inside wall.
4: Yeah, this is just the worst situation that you can see, certainly for a driver in this situation. A slower car right there, you're going 220 miles an hour, not much that you can do, and then becoming airborne. As I sat and watched this, uh, just in fear, uh, in knowing Scott Dixon, but a great testament to the durability of these vehicles, to withstand something like that. And when I saw Scott Dixon get out, uh, it was a great relief.
1: 21 laps to go, Fernando Alonso, engine fair. He did, though, show why he's one of the best in the world. He led 27 laps and running up front for most of the race. Mario Andretti among those tweeting at him. He did have some milk anyway, though, Parker. You might as well, right? Yeah, definitely. A little bit of a
5: salute to the media. Yeah,
1: six laps to go. Takuma Sato making the pass on Elio Castroneves for the lead, who, by the way, was bidding for a record-tying fourth Indy
5: win. Yes, and this was an incredible pass around the outside. And Elio would try to get the run on him in the last two laps, but it wasn't to be. Takuma Sato gets his first Indy 500 win after coming so close a couple years ago and becomes the first Japanese driver to win.
1: Here's what the wind sounded like in his native country of Japan. Take a listen. <laughs> And those screams are at the end, Sato's reaction, which I just love so much because it's proof that no matter what language you speak, the elation of winning a race like this is the same, and I know you felt it because you were right there. It was
5: an incredible atmosphere at the Indy 500s. You mentioned 300,000 people in attendance, and as Sato was able to get around Elio and they were duking it out, and it seemed like he was going to be able to hold off Elio for the win, the place erupted. I ran outside from the media center, out in the grandstand, and you, could, you couldn't hear the engines over the people cheering and staying ovation for Takuma Sato, who drove an excellent Race and able to hold off the three-time winner there in Elliot Cashin-Evers.
1: Yeah, and DJ, you mentioned Scott Dixon being a friend of yours. He had quite the weekend. He won the poll. He was held up outside of Taco Bell and robbed, apparently, and then this spectacular crash. Um, it just, Just an incredible time in Indianapolis overall for him.
4: Yeah, it really was. I mean, such an elation there to in, in one part of the day uh, just uh, over a week ago when he won the poll, had the fastest car there, knew that he had a great chance at winning, and then just, uh, unfortunately, things... Turning out to be right in front of him there, but you're going so fast as a driver, you just don't have one chance to make your move, and the car moved right in front of him. So it was very, very unfortunate. Just so glad to see him come out of this okay. I don't care how safe things are, when you see something that spectacular happen, uh, you just don't know what the outcome may be. But it was a terrific race uh, that followed uh, throughout the day, very entertaining, uh, the, the twist and plots throughout all of that, uh, and then a great pass towards the end uh, for the victory. So a lot of fun to watch that 500-mile race.
1: Uh, Dixon actually sent out a tweet last night just thanking everybody um, for all the messages. He says, thanks for all the messages. That was a wild ride. Bum for Camping World. Now onto the championship. Congrats to Takuma Sato. So happy for you. Well, until last night, the racing image that came to mind for most when they thought of Austin Dillon was of his terrifying wreck at Daytona. Now he will always have Coke 600 winner on his resume. What does the win really mean for the rest of his career? More when NASCAR America comes back. Game one of the Stanley Cup final is tonight as the Penguins host the Nashville Predators in Pittsburgh. Our coverage begins following NASCAR America with NHL Live on NBCSN, then go ahead and switch over to NBC for the game. And one rookie to watch tonight, Penguins right winger Carter Rowney, who had three assists in game five of Pittsburgh's Eastern Conference final victory over the Ottawa Senators. Rowney played four years at the University of North Dakota, and as luck would have it, North Dakota is today's stop on my home tracks, 50 states in 50 shows. It is day- 34 and today's featured track is located about two hours north of the state capital of Bismarck and that is Nodak Speedway in Minot. This is a three-eighths of a mile dirt track. It's located on the grounds of the North Dakota State Fair and the track schedule runs from May through September. In fact, there is a night of racing that begins at 6 p.m. local time tonight which is actually going to feature the Memorial Day parade of flags. And it is also the home track of eight-time World of Outlaws champ Donnie Schatz, who grew up in Minot. Schatz and the rest of the World of Outlaws going to roll into Nodak this August. And Nodak Speedway, not the only dirt track in North Dakota. One of our viewers, Thomas Dwarshak, actually tweeted to our own Chris Devota about his home track, Dakota Speedway. This bullring just outside of Bismarck has great racing action every Friday night all throughout the summer tomorrow our 50 states and 50 shows tour heads to the buckeye state of ohio of course this july the truck series gonna head there for the annual dirt race at tony stewart's eldora speedway it is a race that has become a must-see event for nascar fans meantime coming up next we're gonna hear more from this year's coca-cola 600 winner austin dillon he will answer the question on where he ranks among the young lions of the cup series dj and parker giving their take on that as well when we come back Welcome back everybody. In case you missed this, Kevin Harvick avoiding near disaster during his final pit stop as he's pulling out from his stall. Front tire changer Eric Maycroft still working. And for a brief moment, Maycroft dragged by the four car. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. Harvick ended up ultimately finishing in eighth place. A scary moment there, but Harvick and the four teams still searching for their first win this year, of course. And speaking of his former team, Richard Childress Racing and Austin Dillon, adding his victory to the one that Ryan Newman scored at Phoenix back in March. Following last night's win, Dillon was asked about his place among the sport's current crop of young stars.
4: Austin, awesome. with all the
3: uh, with all the talk about some of the younger guys in the series, the Chase Elliott, Daniel Suarez, did you almost feel like you were kind of Aging out a little bit here
4: because,
2: because the, the I'm the coolest one. <laughs> Did
4: you feel like you were getting like kind of lost in this?
2: Lost in the sauce. Yeah. I don't know. Um, it's all about performance. They're going to talk about you more when you're performing well. Those guys have been performing well, and I knew we could do it and run well, but we just got to do it more consistently. And um, when we do, I think they'll
5: talk about us.
1: What does this win do for the way he's perceived among
5: this young group of stars? Well, when you think about what he's done this season, I think that's where some of this pressure comes from as you see these younger stars coming in and, and when you think that Austin coming off last season had a really good season last season. That was a highlight of his career so far in the Cup Series up until now. But then as they went into this season, he just didn't seem to have that same pace, same ability to finish out races. And when you look at the crop that came in this season, your Eric Jones, your Daniel Suarez, his younger brother, Ty Dillon, going into this race, they were ahead of him in points. That added to the pressure that he also, when you look at the performance he had last year, was hoping to probably align himself with what Kyle Larson is doing this year, who came into this race as your points leader. But none of that was there. And so when you think about where you stand up in a current crop of drivers or where you stack up amongst your peers, you don't want to be at the tail end and you especially don't want to be at the tail end of lesser experienced drivers. And that's where he found himself going into this race. But what you heard into this week, you heard about the meeting he had with his grandpa, you you saw him go out and win this race and the confidence that comes with that. Those are the things that turn this cycle around. Those are the things that turn the performance around, which then turns the news headlines around and therefore allows him to feel like he's settled where he should be amongst his peers.
4: Okay, so talk and speculation is for those of us in the media that want to rank and put people in order. If you're a driver, a competitor, and seriously uh, think that you're in a position that you should be in, that you're one of the best 40 race car drivers deserving of being in a cup ride, then you're not paying attention to what everybody's saying. If you listen to it at all or you happen to hear it, it's only put there for motivation. So if we want to talk about the things that really matter as we talk about those young guys and we list them, the one of them now that's being talked about that has a victory is Austin Dillon. Doesn't matter how he got it. He performed well enough to be in a position to get that victory. Didn't lead a lot of it, wasn't inside the top five much of the race, but he was there to capitalize on an opportunity that is put there. This young man has worked really hard to get himself into position. He's helped make Richard Childress Racing a better organization. Because just a few years ago, we were talking about them like kind of like we talked about Jack Rouse's or- organization last year, to where they just weren't uh doing anything noteworthy. So now they are performing at a much higher level. And the biggest thing is right now, yes, Chase Elliott, Eric Jones, uh, uh, Ryan Blaney, they have great talent. They're going to win races. But right now, uh, the one that has that uh, playoff berth is Austin Dillon, and he's done a terrific job of becoming that leader and taking that leadership role that's going to be needed there at Richard Childress Racing. You know, before that, they had Dell Earnhardt, who didn't mind speaking up and telling them the, what they needed to be done. They knew they had the driver. They they had to listen to him. Kevin Harvick came along, was much like that himself. Now, Austin has put himself in that position. But again, you, you can talk about luck. And, and if you have to have some amount of luck to, to, to win races at this level in a lot of different cases, but you have to put yourself in that position. And they've worked extremely hard to get themselves in that position. And again, the fact is, they have two cars that are playoff uh, ready right now. DJ, so are you saying winning fixes everything? Well, it doesn't fix everything. They've got a lot of work to do. There's no doubt about that. They'll be the first to tell you that. And I think it's crazy how this sport in particular, you see some of it in other sports, uh, when a quarterback might come in for uh, an injured quarterback and show that that he can get a big contract and he can get the job done. But in this situation, you just never know what's going to happen. I think this was just circumstances that played in to the point that that uh, their new crew chief could come in there and he could make a call. Didn't have a whole lot to lose. This is first week on the job, so why not take a game? And see how it paid off. But if he can continue to make this race team better, then we'll, then we'll see and, and say that he did a great job. Slugger Labby wasn't, uh, it wasn't that he wasn't doing uh, his job. He's an extremely smart
5: young man and very hard worker, but sometimes change just needs to be made to make them better. DJ, when you think about what you just said there in terms of the headlines not mattering, that's not what you focus on. You have to remember though, with this in this situation and in the current climate within the sport, you have to be on an upward trajectory. You want to see a young driver like Austin doing, constantly improving and I think that's why you start to pay attention to those things, why those things creep in is because when they had this downward year start to the year basically in this three car, that mounted pressure from within. Not only did it come from the media, but it came from within and that's when it gets tough. That's when you need to be able to focus on going out there and getting the performance, and winning helps doing that.
1: Did I just hear DJ say he was a member of the media? I thought they were the enemy. You did. <laughs> 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 all right, so storyline <laughs> we're going to talk about a week for all. That's now for NASCAR America. We'll see you again soon.